We'll be in Genesis chapter 1 this morning, chapter 1 and 2, looking at the origins of these things and how it is that God created us to have a relationship with him, but in a certain way that there might be complementing roles between the two genders. I think it goes without saying that we live in a day and age where there is tremendous upheaval in this. There is all kinds of mass confusion and great struggle as to what it is that we ought to live as men and women and how we ought to relate to each other. And for the most part, we've reached a place where people are arguing that, that gender is a fluid thing. It's something that can be changed depending on what you want it to be, that you might define yourself in the way that you understand to be right for yourself, that you choose, that you make the rules. Well, for each of us, our gender, being male or female, is the base of our personality. It's the base from which everything else flows uh, in the rest of our life. It's what bases our decisions upon. Well, when we come to look at these things as the foundation of these things, I think we need to start at the origin, start at the beginning. Because if we have a wrong foundation, when we go out from there, our arguments or what we choose to decide from there will all be faulty because they're not on a strong ground. And we begin all the way back at the beginning. We're going to begin in one of two places. We're either going to begin in an evolutionary mindset or we're going to begin in a mindset that God created the world with intentional design and purpose. If you begin with an evolutionary mindset and that's where you are now, it's going to be difficult because evolution teaches that the world began and has now reached its place through a series of time and chance random events. And there is no ultimate purpose in these things. And everything is continuing to change and to move towards supposedly a better end. But there is no purpose in it because there is no designer behind it and there is no one that caused these things to happen. And so there is a meaninglessness and there is this sense that I can choose to be whatever I want to be and press my life into whatever mold I want it to become, but it creates chaos because everyone is going in a different direction and choosing a different thing and we feel the, the pressure of that chaos in our day and age as people are going in all kinds of different directions. But when we look at the scriptures, we see that the world has not come to pass through random time and chance, but that it has come to pass through the creative power of the Lord God, and that he had a purpose and a plan for bringing the world into being, and that he created men and women in a certain way for a certain purpose and a certain good end. And we see from the scriptures that the nature of humanity is unchanging. Though much has changed about the world as thousands and thousands of years have passed, the nature of men and women has not changed. People still struggle with the same things that they struggled with long ago. The same lust, the same arrogance, the same anger, all these things. Humanity's nature has not changed. And we see from the passages that we're going to read this morning that the story of creation corresponds with reality that we see around us. We, we see, what we see is that the, the biological nature of male and female is truly distinct and that there's distinct differences between those two. And that is something that we see from Scripture. We see the enduring reality of marriage and family and the church. We see the enduring roles of husband and wife and that uh, they continue to be with us even down to this day. 
Because we'll see this morning as we read in Genesis 1 that marriage is a part of what God created. He made it good before sin entered the world. So in all these things, the Bible, as God's word, gives us the answers to major questions. And so it's right. It's it's tough for me as a pastor to address the, the very difficult, troubling questions that we struggle with each and every day. Because each of you are going to come with a little bit different perspective. But it's wrong for me not to, because the Bible gives us the answers to the things that we need. The Bible gives us a picture of complementing genders. That we are incomplete without each other. And together in marriage, it creates an enduring whole. So James is going to bring up here to to a couple of things for an illustration. Because our world is pressing constantly for sameness in gender. I didn't have enough hands to bring all this stuff up here today. So thank you, James. Appreciate it. Um, The world is constantly pressing for sameness when it comes to gender. Neutral names, neutral styles, neutral sports competitions, neutral parenting. And so my question for you that I think we all need to consider is, why is different bad? Why is different bad? Because we see difference when we look at gender in the scriptures. When it relates to purpose, difference is good because design always brings about difference. So I've got two radically different things here this morning. I've got a hammer and I've got a... China teacup, finally made in the United Kingdom. So this one has driven many a nail. And this is a great hammer. I've built lots of stuff with this thing. It's still around after 20 years. And I've drank many a cup of coffee or tea out of this cup. These things are radically different from each other. Why is that? Because they were designed for different reasons and for different purposes and different ends. So we should expect that they would be different. So the next question that we ask is, well, which of these is better? And you you struggle with that question because that question doesn't make any sense. And why does that question not make any sense? It's because they're designed for different ends and purposes. So saying which one is better doesn't make sense. To, To judge something as better, you have to have a similar item in order for it to be judged in that way. And so asking which is different which is better, excuse me, is often a, a question that does not make sense. And when we look at the, the nature of men and women, the question is not which is better. The question is why is there difference and what is the purpose of that difference. So please turn with me this morning to Genesis chapter 1, the very, very beginning of your Bible. Uh, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1, verses 24 through 28. Please stand to honor the Lord as we read his word this morning. Genesis chapter 1, if I can get this page turned. There we go. 24 through 28. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kind, livestock and creeping things, beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. 
And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. So creation speaks to us about God's design and about his purpose. It tells us what the purpose of the things are that he made. And there is much to be said concerning the agreement between the creation account and much of what we can look at in science, but that is not my purpose in being here today. Because no matter how far we plumb that and and go down that path, which I encourage you to do that and to look and to research down that path, at the end of the day, Hebrews 11.3 will continue to be true, which says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things. Things that are visible. So as we look through this today, no matter what, at some point you're going to have to take a step of faith to say that, yes, I believe that this is in fact what God did and this is in fact his purpose in doing these things and I am going to believe God and I'm going to take a step of faith to follow after his design and his principles. So as we look down through Genesis chapter 1 verse 24, in verse 24, it's, it's finishing on the tail end of the various days, and a, a phrase is repeated there that's often repeated, which is, after its own kind, after its own kind. And so God keeps creating animals, birds, fish, various things like this, after their own kind. But then there's a hard break in the passage, where God says in verse 24, um, I'm sorry, 26, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. So there's a break between the rest of all the animal kingdom and man and woman, and that they are created not in the kind of animals, but they are created after the likeness and in the image of God himself. And so this in God's image is a huge concept and very, very important for us to understand that we are not created as a God, but we are created in the likeness or the image of God. A great many false religions and false teachers will tell you that you are a God. That takes a lot of convincing because you know that you are not a God. But you are, in fact, created in the image of God, which means that you have the potential for a relationship with God because you have been given a soul. Part of this, as Bruce Waltke says, is that humanity is made like God so that God can communicate himself to them. We are given various aspects of God's character, and this is called the communicable attributes of God, that we are made in a likeness or a way like God so that we can have a relationship with God. If we are completely dissimilar from something, it's impossible for us to have a relationship with that person or with that thing. Animals, cats, dogs, whatever, do not have a relationship with God because they do not have a soul and they are not made in the likeness of God. They do not pray. They do not worship God. They do not seek after God because they are not made in his image. But every person on the earth has a resident understanding in their heart that there is a God because they're made in God's image. And in some way or another, they seek after God. They long for him. They reach out for him, pray to him, and grasp for him in some way. And the, the, the traits or attributes of God that are perfect in God are in a lesser extent uh, in our hearts as well. 
Like knowledge, we all have some degree of knowledge, but none of us are omniscient or know all things as God does. When it comes to God's moral attributes, we have levels of goodness, degrees of love in our heart, but we are not perfect in our love. Our our love is corrupt, our goodness is corrupt. We have degrees of peace, but we do not have the peace that passes all understanding that only God can give. We have degrees of righteousness when we come to faith, but it's always corrupt in some way and it frustrates us greatly. When it comes to eternal things, we are eternal in a certain way in that we have a soul, a soul that will not die and a soul that will continue on either to be with the Lord or to continue on in judgment if we rebel against him. But in all these ways, we are like, a, like a, a picture or an image in some way of God. We are created in his likeness so that we might have a relationship with him. But the, as we go on down here uh, in verse 27, it says that God created man in his own image. And the word man there is the, the generic term referring to all humanity. So God created humanity in his own image, but then it gets very specific and all of God's word is specific for particular reasons. It says that the image of, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so what we must grasp here is that male and female are equal before God in their personhood, in their standing, in their dignity, but they are different in manhood and womanhood. So God did not create one human being which he could have done, but he chose not to. Instead, he created two distinct persons, a man and a woman that are different in various ways, but they are both created in the image of God, both created for a relationship with God, and both created in love by him. And this is where the gospel of Jesus Christ comes in. No sermon is complete without the gospel because every part of the Bible turns us towards Jesus Christ. And so being created in the image of God opens the door for you and I to have a relationship with God. And so I ask you this morning, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? You were created for it. You were created for the ability to relate to God, to worship him, to be forgiven by him, to walk with him, and to have that relationship endure into eternity. If you do not know Christ as your Savior, that is the most important thing that you can learn and take away from this sermon this morning is that that door is open to you. This is why Jesus came. He came and he died upon the cross to bear the the punishment of your sin that you might be forgiven. And when he rose again from the dead, he lives now so that he might continue to have a relationship with you. He is our mediator, our intercessor. If you sit here this morning and feel radically separated from God, it is possible for you to be forgiven of your sins that you might know him. This is what we were created for. Well, as we we learn about the image of God in chapter 1 and that male and female created differently but in equal standing before God, we turn over to chapter 2 and we look in chapter 2 from verses 5 through 25, which I'm not going to read completely, but look at parts of help us to understand more the complementing nature of the genders. So man was created from the dust of the earth in verse 7. And in verse 15, Adam is put to work in the garden, uh, the garden that God created. And it says in verse 18, uh, God recognizes something. He knew this, of course, all along, but it is written for us here that we might see it. He says, it is not good that man should be alone. 
I will make a helper fit for him. Powerful statement. So God, it's unusual. Adam was created alone. All the other animals were created with pairs and and, uh, opposites, but Adam was created alone. And God gives Adam a task. It's an unusual task, but it has a purpose, as in all things with God. He, He brings these animals before him in the garden and has Adam name them. And something happens that as Adam is naming them and and seeing all these animals pass in front of him, what does he become aware of? He becomes aware that he is radically alone and that none of these other animals fit him or none of them can provide companionship for him and that he is distinct and different from all of them. And this is an important thing. You know, we all have various relationships with pets and things that we love, but none of them can be a companion to us like another human being can because they are different from us. They are not created in the image of God. And so Adam recognizes his need and um, understands his aloneness. In verse 19, God illustrates and drives home to Adam this through the animals coming before him. And in verse 21 through 23, Eve is created. It says that the Lord God causes a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and takes out of him one of his ribs, which is so interesting that God creates Eve or creates the woman out of man as a part of him. And Adam, after she is created, says, she is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She is of the same nature as I am. And he rejoices in the fact that now there is a companion. There is another for him to enjoy life with and to be with. That's so interesting uh, what uh, one of the old Puritan divines, a man named Matthew Henry, wrote about this, about this, this symbolism of God creating Eve out of a part of Adam and using a rib. He says this. He says, Woman is not made out of his head to top him, not made out of his feet to be trampled upon, but made from his side to be equal with him, from under his arm to be protected by him, and near to his heart to be beloved. So we don't know exactly why God chose that, but it's a very interesting and good analogy of why it is that maybe God chose that and the symbolism of Eve coming out of Adam. Well, marriage is then, it goes straight to marriage. So we've got man, woman created, and then right after that, in the garden, before the fall, before sin enters the world, these two are put together in a marriage relationship, which is verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. It is so important not to miss the fact that marriage is not created by culture after sin enters the world. Marriage is not a compromise that came about over time and that people came up with. Marriage is something created by God. And so he created a man and a woman, two halves to one whole, and the whole is marriage. It is not commanded, but it is given to us as a blessing, a completion of man and woman, where different gifts, different purposes, different roles might come together in a lifelong union. And marriage becomes the basic building block of society. It's from this unit that children are born and they are raised and families multiply and grow and those families come together into society and societies and cultures and so on and so forth. 
But if you tear apart marriage and this basic foundation that God has given to us, all manner of things begin to fall apart. We're going to talk in the next sermon um, about specific roles in marriage and how those roles work out into the church. Today, we're just laying the groundwork, the foundation of where this all even comes from. So to summarize what we've talked about so far, man and woman, male and female, are equal in their standing and worth before God, but different in their roles and different in their giftings. For it has been given to the man who was created first to lead in marriage, to lead in the relationship. And he is the one who is primarily to lead. It doesn't mean only. That's why I say the, the word primarily, because these roles are going to be shared back and forth to a certain extent. But when it comes to leading the home, and as we'll see in coming weeks, when it comes to leading the church, the man is given this role. And the woman is created second, giving the support role. She is the primary supporter, the, the primary corresponding helper is the way that the exact word is said in verse 18. The corresponding helper to her husband and ultimately, when it works its way out into the church, the elders of the church. Now, I understand that this is radically hot language in our day and age to say something like that. But let's, let's start looking at it. Let's unpack it. Because all organizations, all healthy organizations are based in some way upon what we're talking about here. We cannot have all leaders in an organization with no supporters, or it will not work. It's too many cooks in the kitchen. And we cannot have all workers with no leaders or we end up with chaos. And so in any healthy organization, there is a degree of leadership and there is a degree of support and it works out into something healthy and something that is good. But when we look at leadership, there's good leadership and there's bad leadership. Good leadership is respectful. Good leadership cultivates. Good leadership seeks the blessing of those that they lead. And there are good supporters and there are bad supporters. Those that support well use their gifts for the good of what they are supporting, wanting to see its success and its strength. And when we take these things and apply them to the family, that's what we're talking about here this morning. It is not easy to lead. The burden of leadership is given to the husband in the marriage. And it is not easy to lead, but that is what they're called to do, and that's what we must do in the home, men. We must lead spiritually, and we must lead in everyday matters. We must lead our families to know who God is. We must lead them to be here in church. We must lead them to understand the scriptures. Ultimately, hopefully, prayerfully, leading our children to know Christ as their Savior. But we must also lead in everyday matters. Everyday matters related to finance and things like this, that if things go horribly wrong, it's going to rely with us. When things go right, we should give the credit to the Lord and to our wives and to our children because we're always giving away that credit. But when things go bad, we bear the responsibility because we are the ones that are primarily, as given by God, the leadership role in our marriages and in our family. But the burden of support is given to the wife or given to the woman. And this is also a great burden, just like leadership is a burden. Spiritually in everyday matters, particularly related to the home and to the care of children, it is given to the wife to support her husband. 
And I understand that the world hates this language. And why does the world hate this language? Because it hates all things related to the character of Christ and service. So what I want you to see here this morning is that this aspect of service is also related to the image of God. Male and female, both created in the image of God. We often see clearly the the image of God in leadership, but we don't see so clearly because we don't tend to look at it, the image of God in service service. But all throughout the Old Testament, the same exact word used for a wife being a helper is used of God helping and supporting us, that God takes upon himself that role of supporter of the nation of Israel. And when we get into the New Testament, it is written large that Jesus is a suffering servant, that he, as we see most clearly in John chapter 13, is a servant, and that he humbles himself even to the point of washing his disciples feet Jesus down there with these sandal clad dirty feet washing the feet of his disciples and an entire chapter is given to this because as he does it Peter has the same reaction that you and I might have like you're not washing my feet you're the son of God I worship you and I know that you're my savior you can't serve me in this way But Jesus tells them, you must allow me to serve you in this way, for this is what I am going to do for you. It's a symbol of my uh, my humility before you. And And it's also a command because he goes on to tell them that a servant is not greater than a master. He's telling his disciples, you must also go and be a servant as I am. If I'm serving you and I'm your master and you're not above me, then you also must be a servant so that you walk in my ways, in my ways of humility and service. And so the point of bringing this up is that service is equally a part of the image of God as is leadership and authority. They're both aspects of the image of God, but different sides of it, if you will, different aspects of it. So male, female, created in God's image, equal in standing, equal in worth before God, but different in roles. So the husband as the primary leader is primary, but he is also a servant. Every good Christian husband is also a servant. He gets in there whenever it is needed to do whatever is needed in an act of loving and joyful servant. Whether that means changing diapers or washing the dishes or whatever needs to be done, he's diving in as a servant. He is primarily a leader, but every good leader in every good organization is a servant leader. They're willing to get in and do whatever is necessary to see the success of the enterprise. But the wife is created primarily as a supporter, but she also leads. And so whenever, the way this works out in our house, I'm out of town a lot. And when I'm out of town, Maria's leading. She's the one that's in charge. And when she is definitely leading in other ways as well all throughout her life, but particularly when I am gone. But when I return, she welcomes the return of my leadership to the home because that's the role that God has given to me. And I am so thankful for her support and the way in which she works in our home to cultivate our home. And so there's a going back and forth, but there is a primary role, a primary division in what is happening there between leadership and support. Um, I'm going to read a quotation from, from John Piper because we can go down this list, and I understand there's a thousand things that we could talk about here. 
We could go down this road for, for many, many hours. Whole conferences, whole books are written. And by the way, I have two of them in the library for you out here. If this is a subject that you want to learn more on, I encourage you to take a look at this, Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Um, but John Piper writes in an interesting way about the complementing nature of the differences between men and women and the role that God has given to them. And that they are different. But when you see the strengths of a man and the weaknesses of a man, and you see the strengths of a woman and the weaknesses of a woman, the idea here is that when you lay those on top of each other in a marriage relationship, they offset each other to create a complete whole. Boasting in either sex as superior to the other is a folly. Men and women, as God created them, are different in hundreds of ways. One helpful way to describe our equality and differences is this. Picture the so-called weaknesses and strengths of man and woman listed in two columns. If you could give a numerical value to each one, the sum at the bottom of the column is going to be the same. Whatever different minuses and pluses are on each side of masculinity and femininity are going to balance out. And when you take those two columns, each side, and lay them, as it were, on top of each other, God intends them to be the perfect complement to each other. So that when life together is considered, and I don't just mean married life, the weaknesses of men are not weaknesses, and the weaknesses of women are not weaknesses. They are instead a complement that call forth different strengths from each other. And I think that's powerful. Because what it means is that God has intentionally made us different from each other, but though that we complement in a way that makes a whole. It's important to define this by looking also at what other people are saying about gender, what other perspectives are on this. I'm teaching a biblical complementarianism. That's the name of this. There's also egalitarianism. An egalitarian perspective minimizes the differences between the two genders and uh, increasingly talks about the sameness of the two in order to present, a, in my understanding, a false sense of equality. Because sameness in role works to undercut the role of the husband and to undercut the role of the wife and put both husband and wife into basically the same role. It minimizes homemaking and the raising of children in particular is the, the way the outworking seems to have its, its strongest sense. But it also tends towards homosexuality. And you may say, why is that? That doesn't make any sense. Well, when you minimize the differences between men and women and make light of them and that they can be done away with and that they are irrelevant, what it does is it homogenizes us all into one sex, that there's nothing different really between anyone. We're all just basically the same. And there, it does not celebrate the differences. Instead, it, it presses them all together into one, into one single concept of sexuality, which is not biblical. We can move on to feminism. Feminism is the pressing of women to act and be like men. It, it completely just tosses aside all the beautiful womanly virtues of, of care and watching over the home and homemaking in general. My mother majored in home economics, something that has made for a great home for me, by the way, because of all the great talents that she had. But that is just gone now, and it's almost something that people don't even want to talk about because it's just a terrible thing. 
But feminism is the pressing of women to act like men, to be like men. Completely does away with the biblical concept of femininity. Patriarchy is sort of on the other side. Patriarchy is the abuse of male leadership. It's the idea that uh, the man should be in charge of everything, is not interested in what uh, the wife has to say because he does not value her opinion. It treats women in a childish and often a demeaning way uh, and often not as an equal but it's an example of bad leadership because all bad leadership, uh, bad leadership does not cultivate or appreciate the talent of the people that are under them, but gives out orders and is often proud and angry and patriarchy often comes out in this way. And the last thing here is transgender or the idea that gender is just a fluid concept and that if someone rejects their gender, they can just change it and be something different. And you must hear me here, because part of this message today is that you cannot change your gender. God assigned your gender. He assigned it to you because he wanted you to be the person that you are. It's a base level, foundational part of the life that God has designed for you to have. And learning to accept that and learning to celebrate it and learning to live within it allows you to live at peace with God and at peace with yourself. And the longer that people strive against the way that God has made them, the more um, sadness and depression and ultimately all kinds of terrible things happen when you reject who you are at a most base level. And so I encourage you, uh, if what I'm saying here today is, is new to you or it just makes you angry, I encourage you to consider who you are in your gender and whether or not you have accepted that and whether you celebrate it based on what the scriptures teach about it. Because when we accept who we are before God and reach out to Jesus Christ and confess our sins to him and then have a relationship with God, this is where joy is found in walking in God's will. It is a struggle to submit to God's design. It's always a struggle to submit to God's will because we're sinful people and we're naturally rebellious in the way that we want to live our lives. But we must, because of his call to us, submit and seek God's will. It's a struggle to implement these things. Men struggle to lead. They struggle to love. They struggle with respect. They struggle to serve. Women struggle to support, constantly pressed by the world to take the lead and to be like a man in all of their ways. But Christian marriage is impossible if we do not accept these two things. If we do away with the complementing idea of gender, Christian marriage is impossible because it will not work because we have two people trying to do the same thing on one side or the other or we have two people just going in completely opposite directions instead of two people seeking to complete each other. We see the wreckage everywhere. We see men failing to lead and leaving their families out of selfishness and abandoning them and all the sadness and hardship that comes from that. We see women abandoning the home and pouring their entire life into making money. Uh, That's just the general issue today is everyone seems to be pouring their whole lives into the making of money, the seeking of possession, and then pursuing after personal pleasure. By the way, none of these things are biblical virtues. Never are we pressed as Christians to pour our life into the making of money, the seeking of position, and going after personal pleasure. And when we do that, we should not be surprised that our marriages struggle and our children struggle. It begins to spiral out of control as we abandon Christian marriage. 
But this brings us back to where it always should bring us, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We began our day today with the idea that we are created in the image of God, that you were created by God in a particular and special way with a soul, with likeness unto God that you might have a relationship with him. If you have a relationship with him, the doors begin to open to all manner of possibility to enjoy the good design that he has, especially that of marriage. But if you close your heart against the Lord and decide to go and live in your own way and to rebel against what his word says and rebel against the opportunities that are there, nothing but hardship will come upon you. And so I urge you this morning, I don't know where you are because you can be in so many different ways. There's a thousand ways that you can be on the spectrum of what we've talked about this morning. Perhaps you're single and unmarried. Uh, Perhaps you have been married for a long time. Perhaps you are divorced. Wherever you are on this line, perhaps you are struggling with the issue of transgenderism. Perhaps you're struggling with homosexuality. Whatever it is, we must begin with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must begin with the image of God in you and that the door and possibility is open to you that you might know Jesus. And we must start there. And when we begin from there, We come to know Christ as our Savior. We begin to joyfully submit our lives to him. And as we live for Jesus, the pieces begin to be put together. And it begins to build out a whole. And it begins to build out a life that we did not think was possible. And we did not even know what direction to go. And so I urge you today, turn your heart towards Jesus. Look at the scriptures Be willing to submit yourself to them. Consider them. Go read more about these things. Take a hard look at your life as to whether or not your life is ordered in a way that God has said is good. And if it is not, because often when we take a self-introspective look at our life, we find that things aren't the way that they should be. And we have to be willing to take a look at doing something different. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this time. This is a hard subject. I pray, God, that people will will ask questions and they will continue to seek after your word. But we thank you for the foundation of the early chapters of Genesis. That before sin entered the world, you created by purpose men and women, equally loved by you, equally in your image, equal in standing before you, but different in their purpose. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as God-fearing men and women to understand more of what it means as men and especially as husbands to lead in our families and what it means as women and especially as wives to support the leadership of that husband and to be a a helpmeet to him. Lord, I pray that there might be peace in our congregation. I pray that there might be strong marriages in our congregation. I pray that men would gladly embrace what it means to be a godly man and that women would gladly embrace what it means to be a godly woman and that we would cultivate our children and cultivate our marriages in joy and in hope as we turn to you. Lord, I pray for those that do not know you as Savior because all of this starts with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray for anyone that does not know you as Savior this morning that today they would turn to you and accept you that they might be forgiven of their sins. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.